0: May mercy and grace and peace be yours from God, our Father, and from his Son, his only Son, our Savior, Jesus the Christ. What happens when you hear something you don't expect to hear? It depends, doesn't it? If it's good news, you're glad, you're pleased, you're excited. If it's bad news, you're sad, you're stunned, you may be silent. If you don't understand the news... You're confused. You're concerned. You're conflicted. So what happens when Jesus is the one who speaks something the disciples and you and I don't expect to hear? May the Holy Spirit give us attentive expectant hearts and attentive ears and minds to listen to the law and the gospel in Matthew 16. As we ponder from must to never to get behind To take. People God dearly loves. Last Sunday, when the gospel was also from Matthew 16, Simon Peter was spot on with his answer. Now, many of you heard this, but I'll still remind you of Jesus' two questions. First, He asked the disciples, who are people saying that I am? And the 12 gave Jesus a list. Some think and say that you are John the baptizer who has come back to life. Some think and say that you are Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the other great prophets of God from previous centuries. Then Jesus asked, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, always ready to talk, sometimes too ready to talk, said, you are the Christ. You are the promised Messiah. You are the anointed one. You are the son of the living God. To which Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for you gave the right answer, which was revealed to you. By my Heavenly Father. And this confession, this truth, is and will be the lasting foundation on which I build my church. But Peter and the other 11 disciples had more, a lot more to learn. And so do we. That's what we hear in today's gospel. From that time, Verse 21 begins. After Jesus tells the disciples not to tell what Peter declared, he tells the disciples more. He began to show, Matthew writes, and this takes us back to chapter 4, verse 17 of Matthew. There we read, from that time Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was the first turning point. Point of Jesus' ministry. This is the second. Each is critical to reveal who Jesus is and what Jesus is saying and where Jesus is going, which is why we hear this simple and strong word, must. This begins and drives our Lord's first passion prediction. There will be two more In Matthew's Gospel, and those are echoed also in Mark and Luke's Gospels. Jesus must go to Jerusalem, and there he must suffer many things at the hands and the mouths and by the manipulations of the Jewish religious leaders. After this, at the culmination of this, he must be killed. But that's not the end of the salvation story. On the third day, Jesus must be raised to life. Jesus doesn't say, I might. He says, I must. Jesus doesn't say maybe or possibly or even it's likely. He says, I must. And there are more reasons. It is Because of the damnation we face because of our sin. It is must because of the Father's great love and strong desire to redeem. It is must because we can do nothing to heal the brokenness. It is must because lost people need to be found and rescued. But how did the disciples respond? What happens when you hear something you don't expect? That was my introductory question, especially when it's not what you perceive to be good news. You might stay silent, or you might have to say something. Now, let's give Simon Peter a little credit. He doesn't rebuke Jesus in front of the rest of the disciples. He takes him aside. Jesus, I want... To say something to you. Maybe Peter even thinks, I must say something to him. Now, listen carefully, my brothers and sisters. There are parallels that are happening here. There was first this parable. Peter declared, You are the Christ. And Jesus responded with a blessing You are Petros. You are Rock Man. Second, When Jesus began to show the disciples a fuller understanding of his messianic mission, Peter began not to bless, but to rebuke our Lord. And third, Peter takes the powerful must and states, Far be it, this shall not, this must never happen to you. I think we can say this. When Peter confessed, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, he spoke for all of the disciples. And here he does the same thing. It's not only Peter who doesn't get it, who is stunned by this new revelation of what Jesus has come to do and to be. It's all of the 12. Yesterday morning, In our men's breakfast Bible study, we looked at the request that James and John, the sons of Zebedee, made to Jesus after the third passion prediction. They wanted the places of honor at Jesus' right and on his left. They clearly didn't know what they were asking or who would ultimately be on his right and on his left when our king was enthroned on the cross. But back to Matthew 16. The text takes us from must to never and now to get behind. After Simon Peter rebukes him for saying what he has said, he's, after Peter rebukes Jesus by saying, no way, never Lord. Then Jesus turns back with a fourth parallel. Now it is not a commendation, but it is condemnation. Get behind me, Satan. Get out of my way. You are, the Greek says, you are a scandalon. You are my stumbling block. For your words, Peter, are a hindrance to my mission. You are not thinking of God's way and God's will and God's work, but only the way of the world. This sharp, exchange takes us back to the temptations of Satan during Jesus' 40-day fast in the wilderness. In Matthew 16, here today, Peter is the mouth of Satan, tempting Jesus to bow down to the deceiver, to win the world by power and glory, not by humility and by shame. Then Jesus told all, his disciples. Verse 24 begins, even though Peter took the Lord aside, the others must have been close enough to observe the encounter, including the harsh response of Jesus. And the words which follow are the way of God, not the way of the world. For here the disciples learn, and we learn with them, what it means to come after Jesus, to follow Jesus means to deny yourself. Yes, to deny Satan's lies, but to deny your desire to find a different way to salvation. To follow Jesus means to take the cross, to know that Jesus must suffer and for us to be ready to suffer for his sake. That cross-shaped life, as we sang in the hymn a few minutes ago, it began when you were marked with the cross at the font, and it will end when your casket is marked with the same cross before your body is buried in the sure and certain hope of the resurrection. Taking the cross, denying ourselves, not seeking an easy way to be disciples and servants of Christ, because in saving our lives, In trying to save our lives, we will lose them. But in losing our lives in Christ and with Christ and through Christ, we find life worth having, worth clinging to, worth possessing now and a treasure to be possessed eternally. We are fortunate that we have had and have heard and can read the story in Scripture, the whole story, a story the disciples still waited to see. Fortunate's really an understatement because we are blessed to have God's word declaring the truth of our redemption. For that word carries us all the way to Golgotha, all the way to the must of Jesus' forgiveness-winning death, and all the way to the open tomb, all the way to the must of Jesus' life restoring victory. That word declares the things of God, the abundant love, the amazing grace of the Father, revealed and acted out by his dearly loved Son. And these are his gifts to you and to me, because that word is for you and that word is for me. It is our joy and it is our delight.